All right. It is uh, time to get into the Word. I'm going to ask people to find their, find their spots. Find your place in Genesis chapter 24. I'm ready to get in the Word. I hope you are too. Um, we'll see how far we get. My goal is to get through the entire chapter today, and yet we'll just see what God does. I'm, in, I'm excited about uh, this passage. We were in Genesis chapter 22 last week, and uh, man, that was just a, a fun story to, to just look at the picture of, of salvation in Christ and Christ's substitutes and all those things. And we find ourselves now in Genesis chapter 24. Listen, I know what you're thinking. Well, what happened to chapter 23? Remember what we're doing. We're trying to do an overview of our entire Bible, right? And so we're having to, at times, take large portions of Scripture. Sometimes we need to do a deep dive. And, and today, we're going to find ourselves, uh, as the story begins to turn from the focus on being Abraham, and now the story changes and shifts towards his son, Isaac. And so for the next few chapters of your Bible, it's, the focus is on Isaac and eventually um, his two sons, Jacob and Esau and and we'll work through that. Now, I was just thinking as we're praising the Lord, we're talking about salvation and talking about hope in the Lord and all those things. Do you understand that we're able to see, sing those words, we're able to say those words because of what's happening here in the book of Genesis? Because of what's happening way back here where God is separating a people unto himself, where God is singling out a seed line for the coming Messiah, and that's what we're doing is we're tracing all the way through the Old Testament, the, the seed line for the, for the coming Messiah is Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we are able now to be gathered here this morning because of Genesis chapter 24. And amongst other things, right? But specifically, I mean, this is, this is the chapter. If this doesn't happen, if we don't understand that God is orchestrating the, the lineage, that, that we're missing the, missing the point here of what we're trying to accomplish on Sunday mornings in this volume of the book study. All right, so we are going to be moving rather quickly, and I know I say that every week, but I really mean it today. Like, I really mean it today. We have 67 verses to chug through, and there's no way we can read every single one of them, but I'm really trusting that God will, will meet with us, and so we're going to take Genesis 24 in an entirety. Now, if you notice on your study sheet, they're online. You can hit that QR code. They'll take you online if you want to do that. If you have the hard copy, the hard copy there, you'll notice I have a bunch of different blanks, historical, doctrinal, and practical. And every time you come to your Bible, wherever you're reading, I don't care what you're doing in your private time, wherever you're reading, you should approach the Bible that way, historically. What's being written in the Bible? What's, what is the story? What is happening here? But the second question you have to ask is, what is God teaching? Not what does it mean to me? You get to that later. What is God teaching here? Why is this in my Bible? What is God instructing? That's the second application, doctrinal or, or prophetical. And then the third application, only after historical and doctrinal, do you get to ask the question, okay, what does it have to do with me? And so we're going to follow that premise through this whole message, all right? Um, I told you I was giddy last week. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. Um, just what this, this passage is a picture of. And so this, this is a story of, of Abraham sending a servant to go and find a, a wife for his son Isaac. That's what the whole story is about. It's Isaac and, and Rebekah and the love story, as it were, although there's not a whole lot of love until later, later in their story. But it, it starts off with them coming to, to meet each other and to know each other and the father and the servant orchestrating all of that. But doctrinally, that it pictures for us the, our relationship with Christ. And I'll, I'll lay that out in, in greater detail here just a little bit. But then practically, I want to just step, step aside every, sing, every, every once in a while and just so make some practical applications on relationships, specifically dating and a little bit of marriage. But I want to make some applications there. Now, before we get too far into this, before we even get into the story, just like we did last week, I want to do the same. There's a cast of characters that we need to understand who they are and what they picture for us. And so the first guy is Abraham. And Abraham is a picture of God the Father. He's a picture of God the Father, just like he was last week in Genesis 22. He's a picture of God the Father here. And he's securing a bride for his son. That's, what he's, that's what's happening here. He's a father securing a bride for the son. Well, the second character you're going to run into is this servant. 
this unnamed servant, who I believe is Eleazar. You can read about that in chapter 15, verse 2, but he's the unnamed servant, and he pictures God the Holy Spirit, who is sent to go secure the bride, right? That's, that's what the servant does. He goes to find the bride and secure the bride and lead the bride to Isaac, and that's your next one. Isaac is a picture of God the Son. That's Jesus Christ. Isaac is a picture of Christ. And then you have the bride. Her name is Rebecca. And uh, Rebecca, um, she pictures not only the bride, but the church, the body of Christ. That's you, you and I. Now, there's a whole lot of other types we can get into, but this is the ones we're going to focus on today. And let me just quickly, quickly give you Rebecca's name. Here's what it means. It means to hold captive with beauty. It means to, to literally fetter you with beauty. She's captivating. That's where that phrase comes from, captivating. Uh, in other words, uh, she's beautiful. And that's what her name, that's what her name means. All right, so on your study sheet, I, I, I want you, now, notice the sermon title. It's a camel for my valentine. I uh, really struggled with the sermon title. Um, for this, I went into Mason's office and said, "Hey, here's my uh, here's my sermon idea," and he just went, "All right, that'll work." I think I have a lot of other ones that don't ones definitely not appropriate, and um, and and just some of them were just way too way too long. All right, so Genesis chapter 24. Here's the first blank I want you to get is historically Abraham sends his servant to find a willing bride for his son. That's what's happening here. Now, we're not going to read every single verse in as we tra traverse through this, but we do need to read a chunk of verses here. So Genesis chapter 24, 24 verse 1. Is everybody there say amen? Is everybody there? Are we all ready? All right, you got to see this. All right, so chapter 24, verse 1, it says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of the house that ruleth over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. Interesting way to start a conversation. Hey, do me a favor. Put your hand underneath my thigh. If I ever say that to you, hit me in the face, right? And here's Abraham. Hey, put your hand underneath my thigh. And here's what we need to understand. It, it, was a, it, was a, it was a covenant. It was, I'm going to agree to do something so much so that you're willing to put the hand underneath the thigh. He ends up doing that in verse 9. But here's the implication, verse 3. He says, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, of the earth that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. In other words, he says, okay, my son is, by the way, Isaac is 40 years old at this moment. He says, my son doesn't have a wife. He needs a wife. Go get my son a wife. How'd you like your dad to be matchmaker for you? Go find me a wife, mail order or not, whatever. Go find me a wife, bring, bring the wife back, but make sure you don't get a wife from here. Go where I came from. Go to my family, go to my kindred, go to the people that I come from, and that's where you're going to find a wife. And the servant says, yeah, but what if I don't find anybody willing? He says, just go and, and do it. If you don't find anybody willing, then, then don't bring her back. Just make sure you don't take my son over there. All right, so skip down to verse 7. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me and that swear unto me saying, unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Abraham knows by faith that if God's promised this, then we got to continue the seed line. My son is 40. We've got to get going, right? Sounds like a whole lot of parents. When are you going to give me grandkids? Right? If you're not going to give me grandkids, then I'll find you a wife and we'll make this happen. That's kind of what's happening here. So Abraham's like, hey, I want grandkids, but God's promised me this. Let's make this thing happen. And he says, hey, verse eight, if the, will, if the woman's not willing to come, then you're going to be free of the oath. And then verse nine, he puts his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning the matter. All right, so historically, that's what's happening. Let me give you the doctrinal application here. God takes our reconciliation and our presentation very seriously. God takes our reconciliation and presentation very seriously because here's the picture. The servant, 
remember, is a picture of God, the Holy Spirit. The servant's going to go all the way over to Mesopotamia, going to find this woman named Rebecca, and lead her all the way back to the son, Isaac. And it's a picture of salvation, right? The agreement to, to, to what the Spirit of God is, is saying, agreeing to that, it's a picture of salvation, and then her journey through life to get her all the way back to presentation, the judgment seat of Christ, before the Son, right? And so God is all about that. That's the picture here, is that God takes reconciliation presentation seriously. That's what he wants you desperately to get saved. And after your salvation, he sanctifies you and cleanses you and prepares you because there's a moment when you are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on your own with nobody else there. How will that presentation go? And God takes that very seriously. Let me give you a couple of verses. John 16, verses 13 and 14. John 16, verses 13 and 14. It says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So as the spirit of God, his job is to guide all men and women into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And then it says this, he shall glorify me. And we're going to see that happen. And he shall receive a mind and shall show it unto you. What is the spirit of God doing as we speak? He's working in your heart right now. Saying, this is true. This is true. He's drawing you to be submission to the Lord in salvation or in sanctification. The next passage I want to give you is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that's Isaac, that's Jesus, that I may present you as a chaste virgin. And that's exactly who Rebecca is. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, listen, my job as a pastor, as an apostle in his case, was to lead the body of Christ, lead churches, lead individual believers to a moment where they're presented before the Lord as a chaste virgin. In other words, undefiled by the world. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. That's the doctrinal story that we're looking here in Genesis chapter 24. All right, so let's get really practical then. Here's the practical application I want you to get. Parents must set the standard for their children's relationships. And here's what I mean by that. The parents have to set the standard for their children's relationships. And what does Abraham say to the servant? You make sure that my son only marries within my family. In other words, we only marry within the family of God. Amen, church? That's, that is the standard we parents should be making, we pastors, we we, we student ministers, we singles ministers, whatever. We, okay, we only marry within the family of God. Now, when he says, hey, don't be marrying anybody here from the Canaanites. I want you to go all the way back to where I come from. This isn't a race issue. You're not going to find that in your Bible, by the way. The one time you get an implication, it ain't good. It's not good for the person who's whining about the race. All right, so this isn't a race issue. This is a faith issue. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's a yoking together. That's what marriage is. It's a yoking together. Now, we can apply this verse in all kinds of different ways. It's often referred to in marriage because it's quite convenient. It also works in business. It works in all kinds of different things. But be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? Because when you get married to somebody, there is a field to plow. There's work to be done, disciples to be made, and it's not going to get accomplished if one's following Jesus and one doesn't know him. It will not work. It doesn't work. And so the role of a parent is to set the standard for the children's relationship. And what does that mean? Only marry within the family of God. And so let me put it this way. If we only marry the saved... Let's do the math. That means we should only date the saved. Can I get an amen? That's how that works. In other words, you got to be on the same spiritual page. And that's what Abraham is saying. Hey, find me a bride for my son, but not from the world. Get her, get her from the family of God. All right, so that's the story, right? 
Now let's get to verse 10. Because when you get to verse 10, the servant has now left, and it's a long journey from Canaan all the way back over to Ur of the Chaldees to Mesopotamia. It's also called Paddan Aram. All the way over there, he gets all the way there, and he's got a whole lot of stuff. He takes 10 camels with him, verse 10. And the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. I just think his, his name means something funny. It means snore. It means to be a snorer. Nahor. I don't know. He got his name. It means you snore, buddy. That's what it means. Verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening when the time that women go out to draw water. So the stage is now set. He's made his trick. He's made it all the way to the land. He finds a well outside of the city. He causes his camels to kneel down, and it just so happens to be even time. Interesting. Just so happens to be even time. When the ladies would come out, they would draw water, and they would take it, take it back in. All right? So he begins to pray in verse, in verse 12. Verse 12. He said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master, Abraham. Now, historically, here's the, here's the blank. Historically, the servant arrives at a well and meets a potential bride for his son. You're going to see that in verses 10 to 28. That's what's happening here. The servant arrives at the well, meets a potential bride um, for the son. But doctrinally, doctrinally, God's at work in a believer's reconciliation. That's what's happening. Remember, the point was beforehand that God takes reconciliation presentation very seriously. That's what's happening here. God is at work in, in your reconciliation, my reconciliation. All right. So the servant is, the stage is now set. It's even here come the ladies. The camels are thirsty. He's thirsty. Lord, I need you to move. Lord, I need you to do something. So he prays specifically for the right girl. And you know what his prayer is? Here's his prayer. Lord, I'm going to talk to one of these ladies. And the lady I talk to, if this is the right lady, here's how this is going to work. Lord, I, I need you to, to say whenever I ask her for a drink, that not only does she give me a drink, but she also gives all of my camels a drink. And if, if she's able, willing to, to give me drink and to give all my camels drink, then she's the right one, baby. That's got to be her. And so as he's closing up the prayer in verse 15, and it came to pass before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebecca, remember, captivating, right? Hold you bound with beauty, Rebecca. She comes out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. So she's come walking with the pitcher on her shoulder. Ding, ding, ding. Comes walking out, no clue. There's a dude getting ready to speak to him, or to her, verse 16. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her, just in case you didn't know what that meant. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. She doesn't give him the time of day, doesn't pay attention to anything else. She goes down to the well, gets the pitcher, loads it up on her shoulder, and he interrupts her, and he interrupts. And he says in verse 17, and the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hastened and, and laid down her pitcher up upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also. He didn't ask. She's like, your camels got to be thirsty. So she runs and draws water for, for the camels and lays it all in the trough. And verse 21, and the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made this, his journey prosperous or not. So he's just sitting back going, I just prayed this and it's like happening. Like, I pray, boom, it's happening. This is, this is absolutely amazing. All right, so what you see here is that the servant prays specifically for the right girl, and she shows up before he even finishes praying. Now, doctrinally, remember, doctrinally, God's at work in reconciliation, but this picture's something here, that God draws people unto himself, and you got to trust to be in the right place at the right time. 
You've got to trust that you're going to be in the right place at the right time, and God is going to be drawing people to where you are and where you, listen, he's in total obedience to his master. I'm exactly where God, I'm supposed to be. Lord, I need you to move. And as he's finishing praying, the right person at the right time, at the right place, it all happens together. John chapter 6 and verse 44. John chapter 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. It's not by accident that Rebecca shows up, of all people. God's at work. Remember what Abraham said in the beginning. God's going to send the angel of the Lord. He's going to be working behind the scenes. All right. So that's, that's interesting. So he's sitting back going, okay, is this going to work or not? All right. So verse, verse 22. Oh, verse 21. Sorry. He sits back and he's watching. He says, and the man wondering at her held his beast to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so here's what happens. The servant makes a request, just speaks to her in earnest and in haste. Hey, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink and, and goes. And, and what does she do? She immediately re, immediately responds completely responds and does it quickly. So what is that picture for you and I? Well, a picture of someone completely yielding to the Spirit's leading. This is somebody getting saved. This is a picture of her salvation. She gets saved. She gets sealed in that moment. Why? Because now she's interacting with this man or is a picture of the Spirit of God. It's exactly what happens when you got saved. If, you, if there was a moment in your life where you got saved, and I would say the majority of us in this room would say, yes, I know Christ as my Savior. I would also bet there's somebody in this room who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. Let me just tell you right now, God is drawing you unto himself right now. The Spirit of God is at work in your heart. As the Spirit led me, I remember this, as the Spirit was, was whispering the truths of the Word of God into me as I'm, as I'm dealing with my sin and I understand, wow, I've got to do something here. I can't wait another moment. I have to get saved. I have to call on the name of the Lord to save me. I asked of my friends that were with me, I said, what is this gospel that you keep talking about? And they shared Jesus with me, and I got saved at that moment. I didn't wait. I didn't, I, man, it was complete. I need you right now. And God saved my soul that day. I praise the Lord. Well, that's exactly a picture of what's happening here. The Spirit whispers, the Spirit pleads, the Spirit asks, and she does it completely. And she is a picture of our salvation, a picture of our sealing, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth. After the Spirit speaks, the word of God, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When you got saved, that happened. The moment you call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Spirit of God. In other words, it is identified who belongs to the Son. The servant sat back and just watched and just watched and just watched. He's just grinning and grinning and grinning and grinning and grinning. He's like, this is her. This is the bride for the Son. The moment you met Christ, the moment you got saved, you became, you became a picture of Rebecca. All right, so verse 22. Verse 22, and it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel of weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels weight of gold. So he gives her, gives her bracelets, gives her a golden earring. And what you see here is that Rebecca gets a golden earring and she gets golden bracelets picturing for us the change of countenance, doesn't it? That's a picture of a change of countenance. Because now the future bride has a change of countenance. She's now adorned with gold or godliness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Remember that moment when you got saved? That smile that you couldn't wipe off your face? The freedom that you felt, the total peace that you had in that moment? I remember when Easy got saved. Or sorry, when Ethan got saved. I remember when he got saved, just he sat back and just, whew, whew, he just took a few breaths. Why? Because you just saw the peace, the spirit. You could just see the relief in his life. All that sin and all the, 
all the separation from the Lord just gone in a moment. His countenance was completely changed. It has been changed since that day. Same thing for me, same thing for you. There's a change of countenance when somebody meets Christ as a Savior. And that's exactly what happens here. And parents, you really see that with your children. When you have the opportunity to lead a child to Christ, oh man, that's a beautiful moment, isn't it? Because you get to see a change and see a change of countenance. All right, so verse 23. So he gives her jewelry. I don't think she was planning on getting bracelets and an earring while she's hauling water, right? I mean, she's, she's probably not looking her best, you know what I mean? But she's pretty, she's pretty. She's got a thing going on and got a big water pot. And now, I mean, you, you're, you're, if you've ever worked on a farm, if you've ever slopped the pigs, right? Or you've ever had to water cattle or you've had to, listen, it's sloppy and it's messy and it's smelly. And now she's got gold bracelets and an earring on her face. And now verse 23 and, he, and he, so he says to her, whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in, my fa- in thy father's house for us to, d- to lodge in? Now she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And so the servant asked Rebecca and says, okay, where are you coming from? Hey, is there room for me to stay tonight? And what does she say? Show sure enough. There's room in my house. We have straw. We have provender. Enough. No doubt about it. You can come and stay. Well, what does that picture for us? It picture for, for us the Spirit dwelling inside of us, the filling of the Spirit of God, right? You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 5, to be filled with the Spirit of God, where I have all the Spirit I'm ever going to get at the moment of salvation, but the Spirit have all of me. And here she is saying, hey, come and dwell, lodge with me. All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, know ye not that the temple, that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? Do do you not know that the spirit of God dwells inside of you? You're not just sealed, but the spirit of God dwells inside of you. And that's what the servant is asking. Can I come and dwell in thy house? And she says, yeah, come dwell, come dwell inside the house. And notice this, verse 27. Well, verse 20, 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. He begins to worship God and God gets all the glory, doesn't he? Same picture for you and I. That Why? Because God deserves the praise. It was God who does the increase, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And so the spirit of or the servant, he's remember the picture of the spirit. He begins to just magnify the Lord. Lord, you answered my prayer. I came all the way here. I didn't have to wait around. I didn't have to look around. I just got to get a drink. And you brought the right woman. And it's a beautiful picture of your salvation. It's a beautiful picture of making the choice and allow the spirit of God to truly dwell and for you to be filled with the spirit of God. That the spirit of God dwells inside of you. All right, verse 28. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. So she runs home and tells the family what happened. And that's a beautiful picture of my testimony impacting those who are closest to me the most. When you get saved, it's going to impact those who are the closest to you the most. Why? Because they're going to be the ones seeing the change. Now, how do we know that? Check out 29 and 30, just for a moment. I want to come back to them in a, in a moment. But Rebecca, so she's, oh, she shows up, right? She's all excited. And she comes running. Now, I don't know how she runs with the pot of water. So I'm assuming the, 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 the water's still sitting back at the well. I don't know. But that'd be kind of hard to run with water, right? All right, so she's run. She gets back, and, and she walks in, and her brother immediately sees the bracelets, her brother immediately sees this massive gold ring on her face. And then here's her, here's her words. Rebecca had a brother and his name was Laban. 
Laban ran out to the man into the well, verse 30, and it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands. And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. So Rebekah comes in. He's like, uh, you look a little different than when you left. But where's the water? <laughs> I, got, I got bracelets, and I got this ring thing. And she starts talking, and he like, gets really excited, and he has to go find this man has to go find this, this spirit, this spiritual man. All right, so he sees the change in her, and it changes him a little bit. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Now, let me, let me just stop. Let's make some practical application for relationships. The first thing I want you to see here practically is that God prioritizes character over beauty. Can I get an Amen. God prioritizes character over beauty. Notice, when he was praying, he doesn't say, God, give me the most beautiful woman in the world. He doesn't ask that. He asks for a woman that's willing to serve. That's what he wants. What my master's son needs is not somebody who looks beautiful, but somebody who serves beautifully. That's what he desperately wants. Why? Because beauty doesn't serve, does it? It doesn't serve. Beauty doesn't love. Beauty doesn't forgive. Beauty doesn't pray. Beauty does not endure hardships. Beauty doesn't last. It just doesn't. Let me give you this, Proverbs 11, verse 22. As a jewel of gold and a swine's snout, so is a fair woman with, which is without discretion. I quoted that to one lady once. That didn't go well. <laughs> that did not go well. But man, have you ever met somebody who's just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, but the moment you get to know them, they're one of the ugliest people you ever met? Man, Happens more times than not. Proverbs 31, 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. What you find is that God prioritizes character over beauty. In other words, Rebecca is a woman of great character. Great character. So my advice would be to allow God to develop your character. Focus on that. She's a servant towards others. She does what she says and she finishes what she starts. She's given to hospitality. That's who she is. Now, to be fair, she's also a looker, right? She's also pretty. The Bible says she's very beautiful to look upon. No doubt about it. But men... I'm trying to be very careful with how I say things, okay? Men, God knows your taster. He knows what you're attracted to. He, he knows all those things. He's going to bring you someone you're attracted to. Don't sweat that. But don't be deceived by beauty, man. Don't be, don't be deceived by it. It will fail you in an instant. Ladies, can I let you in on a secret? Men are pretty simple. Did you know that? You're like, it's not a secret. Okay, let me, let me delve into that a little bit. Um, we're, we're, we're pretty simple. Down. Our eyes are pretty busy at times. We like, we like beauty. But ladies, let me just tell you what a man really, really wants. And I mean, a man, not a boy, a true man. What he wants? Yeah, he wants a beauty in the streets. No doubt about that. But he wants a queen of cuisine. He wants somebody that can just handle the pots and pans, can do some cooking, right? That he, and here's what he desperately wants. He wants a woman that can help meet the need that God has given him to accomplish. 
to help meet the need, but he also wants a keeper of his peace. That's what a man wants. And that's what he's truly attracted to. No doubt about it. And so we skip to, let's skip to verse 28 again. And here's the next thing practically I want you to get. Notice that she runs to her house. The next practical advice I want to give you is that it's wise to begin your dating relationships by including those who are in authority over you. It's wise to begin your dating relationships by including those who are in authority over you. It became evident really quickly while she's at the well that this man had prayed specifically for her he lets the cat out of the bag and says, I came looking and God brought, brought me to the right place, to the right, at the right time, to the right, to the right woman. And she runs and she tells her family everything. What does that mean? You need to be willing to have open conversations with your family about what God is doing in your life. That's what I mean by this. Have open conversations with your family, those who are, have authority over you, those who have the ability to speak into you, because they might have some concerns that you haven't thought about. Now, you'll find out real quickly, her brother really doesn't care anything about <laughs> what's going on with her, because he sees opportunity to get a little rich. That's what he sees. Now, we'll get to that here right now. So now we move to verse 29 through 67, through the rest of the chapter, because this, it, this shifts now. What you find, here's your next blank, is that the servant historically leads the willing bride to be presented to the son. So he came to find a willing bride. He finds one. Now the story shifts to leading that willing bride to be presented to the son. That's what's happening in the rest of the chapter. Now in verses 29 through, well, the rest of the chapter, here's, here's the next blank. Doctrinally, you got to get is that God's at work in the believer's presentation. So as God is at work in the believer's reconciliation, coming to know Christ as Savior, he's also at work in our presentation. There's going to be a moment where, where we're presented before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what's illustrated for us in the rest, in the rest of the story. Uh, so we've already read verses 29 and 30. And so Laban has seen the sister, his sister's bracelets. He's seen the earring. He's heard her words. He runs out to meet this guy in verse 31. And he said, come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? What you doing out here? Come on inside. Right? That's what he, what are you doing out here? Come inside. Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house. Notice he makes it about him, doesn't he? I have prepared the house and room for the camels. All right, well, isn't that interesting? So laboring comes running, but he has improper motives. So doctrinally, you got to get this. After you get saved, I'm telling you, when you come to know Christ as Savior, your countenance is changing, your family takes notice, and they see godliness in you. They see a change in you. Well, after your salvation, some of your family and friends, they're going to show interest in the things of God. They are. Oh, I want some of that too. Well, isn't that interesting? But some of them are going to have impure motives. They're going to see your change of countenance. And they're going, to, they're going to be interested in that. But you know what they're not going to be interested in? They're not going to be interested in the change of direction you're getting ready to have. And you see that a lot. When somebody gets saved, your family's excited for you. Oh, that's awesome. I want some of that Jesus stuff too. I'd like some bling bling. And that's what Laban's dealing with. How do I get rich too? How do I get some of what you got? And so Laban invites this man in. Now he's going to get rich for sure. He's got some improper motives, but you find out later, he's not too interested in a change of direction. He wants to change of countenance. He wants the riches, but he doesn't want his life to change. He definitely doesn't want his sister's life to change. When you get saved, you can be all excited. Your family may feign excitement, but the moment your life changes, that's when they interject, and that's where they intervene, and that's where they get in the way, 
And that's exactly what happens in the story. All right. So he comes in, they, they feed, they wash his feet, they do all those things. But verses 32 to 48, we're not going to read any of that. You could read it on your own. Right, verses 32 to 48, he pretty much just retells the story. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm here for one, person, one reason and one reason only. I'm not even going to eat until I get it across. My master sent me to get a bride. I found her. She's right over here, and I want to take her with me. All right. That would be an interesting conversation. That would be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? All right. So the servant repeats the whole story to Rebecca's family. And that pictures for us that the gospel, our amazing story, our testimony needs to be told over and over and over again. And you see that throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, where Paul just never stops talking about his testimony. He never stops talking about what God did in his life, and neither should you. You should never stop talking about it. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So he's done. He tells the whole story, and Rebecca now receives silver, gold, and clothing. You see this here in verse 49. And now, if you will, deal kindly and truly with my master. This is the servant speaking. He says, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. If I'm in the wrong house, you just let me know. Maybe I need to go over here. Maybe I need to go over here. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto, the, unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go. Now let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. Now, can you imagine being Rebecca here? Can you just imagine being in her spot for a moment? Here's a youngish lady. She's never been with a guy. All she's doing is hauling water, and then her life gets flipped upside down. Not the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air type thing, but, you know, her life gets completely flipped upside down. And, and now her brother and, 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 and all this has happened. They're all saying, hey, just take her and go. Do I have a say in this whatsoever? Well, yeah, you, you do have a, a say in this. But I want you to see that he said, they say, okay, take her and go. And at verse 52, when he hears this, he worships the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Verse 53, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. So Laban's like, give me the bling bling. Mom gets the bling, but Rebekah gets gold, silver, and, and raiment. She gets clothing. Well, that pictures for us the blessings that come with choosing Jesus. When you choose to follow the Lord, there's great riches in that. And I'm not promising you gold, silver, and clothing. I'm promising you eternal riches. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, to whom God would make known unto you what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How much richer could you be? You can have absolutely nothing in this life and you are the most richest people there are because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, true riches, true riches. All right, so verses 54 to 56, Rebecca now comes on the, so check this out, verse 54. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were, that were with him and he tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning and said, send me away to my master. So it's like, okay, you told me last night, it's time to go. So early in the morning, he gets up, he gets everybody up and says, hey, it's time to go. Let's go. Let me send to the master. Verse 57, they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, would thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. Now, what happens in verse 55 is they say, well, you know, let's hold off. Let's wait at least 10 days. Can we just wait 10 days? And the, and the, and the servant's like, we ain't got time to mess. I ain't messing around for 10 days. We got to do this. And finally comes to the point where, okay, we're going to ask Rebecca. All right, so they try to keep her from going for a while. Now, I've got news for you. The lost world is going to do everything they can to hinder you from having a relationship with God. They're going to do it. Just hang out with here. Just hang out with me here. All right. And so they come to her and say, hey, are you willing to go? 
And she says, last part of verse 58, I will go. I will go. I think we're way ahead on our, on our verses there. All right, so doctrine, let's get this. She makes the choice. She says, I will go. She makes the choice to leave everything and everyone behind to pursue the son. Blindly. She knows absolutely nothing about this dude. Absolutely nothing. And so they leave. And she leaves with, with her. They all get on this camel. She takes her damsels with her. You see this in verse 61? And you need to understand this doctrine that it, it's picturing a relationship, entering into a relationship with Jesus, being led by the Spirit of God, the servant, and going in tandem with other believers with you. She takes her damsels with her, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And the body of his flesh through death presents you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. All right, so. Check this out, verse 62. And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lehi Roy. Let's just read these verses. For he dwelt in the south country, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted up the camel. For she, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah as she became his wife. And he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. All right, so Rebecca says, I'm willing to go. I'm going to go. And so she goes and she hops on the camel, hence the sermon title, the camel for my valentine, right? She hops on this camel, makes her way all the way from Ur of the Chaldees, all the way to the land of Canaan. I can't imagine how sore you must be. I can't imagine how filthy you must be. I can't imagine how disgusting you must be. I can't imagine how many times you had to think, do I really want this or not? I'm getting ready to go be married to a man I've never met. I don't know anything about him. In fact, he's quite a few years older than me. And I'm going to a whole new, I just left all my family behind and now I got to go over here and I got to marry this new dude who I don't even meet, who I don't even know. All right, so they show up. Isaac's out in the field. We'll come to him in just a few moments. He's, he's by the well, he's out in the field, he's meditating. And he sees the camels approaching. And so he starts walking towards the camels. And as the camels start approaching, she sees him. And the Bible says when she sees him, verse 64, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lit, lighted off the camel. This is where a lot of people make smoking jokes. I don't know if it's a joke about smoking, but it's the first mention of smoking in your Bible. She lit off the camel. Okay, well, that's interesting. So Rebecca meets Isaac in the field. And I want you to notice two things. Two things. When she sees him, she hops off the camel. She gets off the camel when she sees Isaac. When you see Jesus, when you are, you get saved. That's one thing. And the Spirit of God's in you, and you're walking with the Lord, and you're following, and you know there's a presentation in your future. But I'm telling you, when you as a believer finally get a glimpse of Jesus, I'm telling you, it changes the way you walk. You walk differently. You might know salvation gets me to that moment of presentation. I know there's a moment. I know there's a time from reconciliation to presentation. But as you get closer to that presentation, you're going to start seeing Jesus. And when you see him, you're going to get off the camera. You're going to walk differently. Because it's going to be an intimate, intimate relationship. You're going to be pursuing. And so she gets off the camel. She starts walking. And then she asks the servant, says, hey, I got a question. Who is this man who's approaching? And the servant says, well, that's the son. That's your man, baby. That's who that is. 
and immediately she takes a veil and covers her face. So when you see Jesus, it changes the way you walk. But when you get an understanding of who Jesus is, you start covering. You start putting a veil up. Why? Because Romans, Revelation chapter 3 says, lest, lest the shame of your nakedness appear. He says, I counsel to be by me gold and silver tried in the fire and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed thereof, thereby. Why? So that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear at the, at the presentation. When you not just see Jesus, but when you see him for who he is, it causes you to want to be covered. Your veil now goes. Why? Because we're preparing for presentation, which is this verse. And the body of his flesh through death presents you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. And you can't do that in your funk. Can you? Let me just be honest. After traveling that far on the back of a camel, she funky. Truth? Ladies, you know this. You know if you're traveling from point A to point B to meet the man of your dreams, right? You're getting ready to get married. And you show up and you don't even know what day or the hour. She has no clue that it's even time to meet her man. No idea. There's no time to get clean. There's no time to get it right. That happens in a moment. Same thing with the rapture of the church. I'll get clean then, I'll get clean, I'll get, I'll get it right then. I'll, I'll, I'll. No, you won't. You don't have time. You don't know when you're going to find yourself face-to-face -face with the master. And she would have been in all her funk, and the only thing she can do is just please cover. Don't see this. And so the servant presents her, verse 66, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had that he had done, pictured the judgment seat, judgment seat of Christ and the conversation of telling it all. Here's what's happening, verse 67. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Where was the book? Where's all the pomp and circumstance? Where, where's, where's all the... There was nothing. She went from camel to walking to the tent. Quick. Really fast. It's exactly how it closes out for us, our presentation. Isaac takes Rebecca into Sarah's tent and he marries her. After, just right then. So he brought her. You see that in verse 67. This picture of the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. And verse 17 says, Then when we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But then it says, not only did, she, did he bring her, verse 67 says that he took her. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's the picture of the clothing. That's the picture of the covering, Right? Now, it, it, she's right and clean, and now they are, they are married. All right, so let's wrap this up. Practically, let's deal with this. Practically, let's deal with some relationship things. So ladies, let's address you just for a moment. And guys, you ought to be asking this question too. Here's the question. How will I know when I am ready or when she is ready? That's a good question, isn't it? How will I know when I, ladies, you're asking, how would I know when I'm ready? And guys, you're asking, how will I know when she's ready? Let me ask you this. Back in verse 58, they asked her, I said, you willing to go? And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Okay, well then, are you willing to go wherever God takes your future husband? That's the question. Because if God is, if you are being linked from, from, from your family, to this man, and God's going to be moving in this man's life. Are you willing to go wherever God takes this man? Because that's marriage. Are you willing to do that? Now notice, she says, I will go. And that sounds a whole lot different than I will leave. Truth. I will go. Sounds a lot different than I will leave. 
Because here's the question then. Are you desiring to be a helpmate for this guy? Or, or are you trying to find your ticket out of the house you're in? And I see that a lot. Looking for a way out instead of a way in. Are you being led by the Spirit of God? As she followed that servant all the way back, she was led by the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All right, gentlemen, let me just talk about you for a moment. You ought to be asking, how will I know when I'm ready? And ladies, you ought to be asking, how will I know when he's ready? How will I know when I'm ready? How will I know when he's ready? Well, notice verse 62 and verse 63. Where is Isaac? He is by the well. Lehi Royais, the God who seeth me, the well of the God who sees me. So he's hanging out by the well. Do you, guys, let me ask you this. Are you a man of the well? Do you know where the water is? Are you washing daily from the word of God? Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 and 26. Are you, wa- are you being washed by the water of the word? Are you in the word of God every day? If not, then you're not ready. She needs a man who's in the word. Now that's, I'm talking about ready for marriage, right? That's what I'm talking about. Verse 63, he's hanging out in the field at even time. He's, he's meditating. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a man of the well? Or are you a man of prayer? Is your life led by prayer? Also, verse 63, are you engaged in the field? Are you a man of the field? What's the field? Well, the field is the world. Are you engaged in sowing seed and evangelism and and harvesting crops and discipleship? Because God's field is where God's going to bring your future bride. Where do they meet? They met in the field. That's the reality. Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Just like in verse 66, the Spirit of God fills him in. Are you being led by the Spirit of God? Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All right, so last question, then we'll be done. So what do I do while I wait? What do I do while I wait? I'm single, or I'm at a spot, and I just don't know what to do. What, what do I do? Let me just say this. Be in submission to God's will. Just do that. Both Isaac and Rebekah were busy living their lives and allowed God to do the preparing. Isaac was at home, trusting the process. Rebekah's out there just doing her thing. And all of a sudden, her life gets flipped upside down. And now she's heading back to meet this man. Focus on being committed to God's will instead of, um, instead of getting married. Amen to that. Just focus on being in the center of God's will instead of getting married. God will take care of all that. Your focus shouldn't be on looking for the right one. Your focus should be rather on being the right one. Just be the right one. Dwell there. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring you someone. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to someone. When God says that you're ready, don't try to force it. I'm telling you, here's the point. It's better to go through life single. Oh, please get this, singles. It is better to go through life single than to be, and, and fulfilled, than to be married to the wrong person and be ruined. Please, do not marry the wrong man because you found a ticket out or somebody who would say, I love you. It will destroy you. That's what we do while we wait. But church, please get this. Many of us in this room would say, yes, I am saved. I have been reconciled to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you prepared for the presentation? Well, how do I get prepared for the presentation? Be Rebecca. Be willing to go. Be willing to follow the leading of the Spirit. Keep your eyes out to see Jesus. When you see Jesus for who he is, and when you see him, let it change the way that you walk. Let it change the way that you pursue that her pursuit now came towards this man and asked questions. Who is this man who's walking towards me? That when you get an idea and get a glimpse of who he is and understand who he is, man, it should cause you to be covered. 
should cause you to put a veil. It should cause you to be clothed with his righteousness and not your own. It should change the way you walk. It should change the way that you view yourself. That is what it means to be a true believer of Jesus Christ, that God wants to take us from reconciliation to presentation. Wow. Praise the Lord. Let's get a hold of that. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Let's get a hold of that. Let's do some business with the Lord. I'm sure there's some singles in here. Not all that was maybe fun to hear, but necessary. I'm sure there's some young people considering dating and all those things, okay? Well then, take heed to some of those things. But some of us have been playing the game. We've been saved for a long time. We're saying we're following the Spirit. We're saying we're doing some certain things. But it's not evident in the way that we walk. And it's definitely not evident in the way that we present ourselves. Let's get a view of who Jesus is and allow it to change us. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we're able to get through this whole passage. Lord, I thank you for the body of Christ being gracious in the length of the message. But Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, in all the business that today has, it's got a lot of craziness today. Lord, I pray that what we heard today will not be missed. Lord, I pray that we'll be like Rebecca and say, I will go. I will go. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.